0: Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. Did you know that as you age, your natural production of collagen declines? This results in fine lines and wrinkles, joint pain, dark circles under your eyes, and more. You see, collagen is like the glue that holds your body together. And luckily, there's an easy way to feed your body additional collagen. It's bone broth. Studies show consuming bone broth protein can boost metabolism, support gut health and digestion, reduce cellulite formation, can help grow healthy skin and nails, support joints and more. But if you've ever made bone broth, you know it's time consuming. And who really has the time to simmer bones for 48 hours? That's why I like to use bone broth protein powder. Simply mix a scoop with hot water, add to a smoothie or even a baked dish, and reap all the benefits of collagen-rich protein in just 30 seconds a day. While most companies use the hides or the skin of the animal, which are less nutrient-dense than the bones, I always prefer using bones. And that's why I love Paleo Valley bone broth protein, because they use 100% grass-fed beef bones from cows that are never fed GMO grains or any grains, for that matter, They even test for over 40 pesticides to ensure this is the purest bone broth protein on the market. These bones are slow simmered to extract as much collagen protein as possible. They don't use any chemicals or solvents, just good old-fashioned bone broth that's then gently powdered. Now, when we think about bone broth, again, we think about the protein collagen, and there's several key amino acids in there, including glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, and those help to to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and help reduce cellulite. They're also critical for anti-aging as they help regenerate bones and help muscle and support heart health. Studies have shown eating bone broth soup on a regular basis can increase fullness, reduce your calorie intake, and lead to weight loss over time. And the amino acid glycine is really important for good sleep. In fact, a three-gram dose of glycine improves sleep by lowering body temperature and boosting serotonin levels, which is a key precursor to melatonin. And it does that without causing daytime drowsiness. Each serving of 100% grass-fed beef bone broth protein contains 15 grams of collagen protein and 3.4 grams of glycine, so you get that critical amount. So to get the Paleo Valley bone broth protein, just go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers and use the coupon code Jockers to save 15% off your order today. You guys are gonna love this, so try it out today. Again, go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers. Use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15% off your order. Well, hey, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I am being interviewed by Mike Collins from the Quit Sugar Summit, and we talk all about blood sugar stability and how critical this is for brain health, for our ability to think sharply and quickly. We talk about the effects of hyperglycemia and hypoglycemia, and how that can cause neuronal cell damage and neuronal, neuronal excitotoxicity. And I also give a lot of key strategies to improve the brain outside of just nutrition. Of course, we talk about nutrition, but I also go through neurobic exercises and how exercise releases myokines and exokines to help drive brain function. And so a lot of really, really good stuff in this episode. I know you guys are going to love it. And definitely check out the Quit Sugar Summit. I think it's just quitsugarsummit.com. We also have a a special link for you guys if you look at the show notes for it. And a little bit about the the man that's interviewing me, Mike Collins. He's a former sugar addict. He takes his addiction very seriously. He's a founder of sugaraddiction.com and sugardetox.com. For the past 30 years, he has not consumed sugar in any form, at least not intentionally. His interest in sugar addiction began in the early days of his recovery from substance abuse disorder. As he weaned himself off other substances, he noticed that his relationship to and his consumption of sugar was beginning to resemble his other addictions. And, uh, you know, of course, he's created his website, sugaraddiction.com, to help people that are dealing with sugar addiction. So definitely check that out and share this information with people that you know and that you care about. I mean, so many people are struggling with blood sugar, dysregulation, pre-diabetes, diabetes. So many people are out there that really need help. And uh, now's the time. I mean, it's the beginning of the year here. Now's the time to start a new health optimization plan And in this podcast, I'm going to really outline that for you guys, show you the the big changes, three big nutritional changes to make, show you a lot of things you can do to dramatically improve your life and your health. So thank you so much for joining us and being a part of our community. If you have not left us a five-star review, now is the time to do that. Just go to Apple iTunes, scroll to the bottom where it says review, leave a review in there. If you do that, that helps us reach more people and impact more lives. Thank you so much for doing that. And let's go into the show.
1: Hey everybody, it's Mike with the Quit Sugar Summit. I'm here with Dr. David Jockers. Um, been wanting to talk to him for a long time, been watching his work. Um, we were just talking that we're really on the same page with just about everything. Um, he's a doctor of natural medicine and a, and a chiropractor, I believe, functional medicine. Um, and he's just got a sugar detox, a keto diet stuff, uh, Something I'm super interested in is his brain regeneration stuff, and uh, some of the fasting stuff. But David, welcome, man! Thanks for doing this, and uh, tell the folks a little bit about you.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. I think this uh, this summit is really important. People need to understand how how much sugar impacts our physiology, our mental health, our physiological, or you know, just our physical being and uh, we need to know how to balance their blood sugar. So that's really key. And and for me growing up, I mean, I always had blood sugar imbalances. I remember, um, you know, growing up for breakfast, I used to have, because my mom would never get the cereal that I wanted, which was like, you know, Frosted Flakes or Cookie Crunch or something like that. She got what we thought was the healthy cereal, which was Cheerios, Corn Flakes. And of course, you know, we had skim milk because we wanted to avoid the fat we throw right. a banana in there because bananas are cheap and they're fruit right so it must be good yeah. and uh and you know on occasion we'd even have some orange juice cuz we wanted to get our vitamin c and of course all of that would spike my blood sugar right. and uh you know if i ate that hey, at hey you
1: didn't put the sugar on top of that
0: <laughs> no my mom was like no no added sugar but you know we thought we were we thought this was healthy you know we were taught this is part of the the healthy breakfast i thought i was i, I and Perhaps I was actually eating a healthier breakfast than most of my classmates were eating we tarts.
1: We did that exact breakfast, except we <laughs> had unfettered access to the sugar bowl. My mother didn't pay oh, yeah. attention. And so we were scraping out half an inch at the bottom with the milk. Of course. Of course you were. Yeah. Sorry. And so I so sorry. yeah, I mean, by
0: you know, if I had that at 7 30, by 10 a.m. I was falling asleep in my class, right? And so right. I just grew up always, always hungry, always having cravings, headaches not feeling well, digestive issues. And, you know, even as I was like get, becoming a teenager, my mom was actually really into natural health and she actually is now a naturopath and she was studying natural health and she was trying to do the best she could. My dad, you know, he was, you know, basically peanut butter and jelly guy, right? Um, you know, and, and very picky eater and and us kids, I'm one of six kids, so we all rebelled against what my mom was teaching at the time. But I always remember her trying to link the food I was eating with my performance and I was an athlete growing up. And so she would, you know, make kale for us. And she would say stuff like, you know, this is gonna help you have more energy. It's gonna help prevent injuries and this and that. And so I always remembered her talking about how nutrition impacts our body and our physiology. And so when I would get sick, she would load me up with garlic and make a big, you know, thing of chicken soup. Yeah. And we never did, you know, drugs growing up. We never did antibiotics or anything like that. We always used nutri- food, you know, as as our medicine. And so when I got out of high school, uh, a few years after, out of high school, I became a personal trainer and I was interested in training and, and uh, you know, just getting bigger and, and getting stronger. And yeah. I was eating six meals a day, right? And, uh, you know, I'd have to have a protein shake before I went to bed you know, big big breakfast in the morning just to maintain my body weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I developed irritable bowel. So all of that really caught up with me. And I went from, you know, I would have times of constipation, diarrhea, intense uh, intestinal cramping. And I ended up losing, I was about 175 pounds at my heaviest. And I ended up losing about 25, 30 pounds in that time frame. And I ha- had orthostatic hypotension where I go from sitting to standing. I'd be really, really dizzy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I I started making some nutrition changes. I started reading some different books and um, started following more of like a whole food based diet and doing whole grains and things like that. And I got a little bit better, but, you know, I still was suffering. I I went into graduate school um, to become a chiropractor and that was when i uh, when i discovered two things i actually read a book called the maker's diet by jordan rubin mm-hmm. and also i had a classmate that was really into mercola uh, joe mercola and this is back in 2004 2005 and um, you know he was just starting to get a little bit bigger and he mm-hmm. had a book called the the no grain diet and so i started following a lot of the same principles and went on to what what we called what my mentor uh, called the cellular healing diet and which was basically no grains you know, focusing on pasture-raised, grass-fed animal products, um, fermented foods. We we got rid of all the bad fats. You know, all the the processed vegetable oils. Focus on coconut oil, um, extra virgin olive oil. Right, just really trying to dial in our fats. And it was a lower carb diet, and it dramatically improved my health. And I felt significantly better. It was gaining my my weight back, my muscle back, and I had this natural level of satiety where I didn't feel like I needed to eat all the time. And I was in graduate school and I was taking 7 a.m. classes a lot of times. And uh, and I would work out. You know, I've, I've worked out my whole life. I still work out six days a week. And I would work out in the mornings back then before classes. And I barely had any time. I would get a short workout in, um, shower. I barely had any time I had to go, go to class and I wasn't hungry. So I just brought a gallon jug of water to class and I would just, and I, and I was just drinking and I naturally was satiated and actually felt better. Like my brain came alive. I felt like I was more cognitively clear. I was able to retain information better. I went to the top of my class and I would not, I would wait until I just natural hunger came. And it usually came around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would eat between two or three and let's say seven or 8 PM. And I would eat, you know, a good amount of calories and I felt so good, and I was gaining my weight back. I was stronger than ever in the gym. I'd never heard the term intermittent fasting again. This was like 2005, maybe 2006, mm. and uh, and I just felt like, oh, gosh, you know, I feel incredible here. And I actually thought it was the water. I remember telling people you have to drink a gallon of water before noon right and i thought it was the water that was you know just detoxing my body it was it was uh, optimizing the length ratio of the sarcomeres in my muscle for better contractile strength i was studying exercise physiology i have a masters degree in that so i was using all these different terms to try to describe what I was experiencing because I didn't know about intermittent fasting. I didn't know about autophagy. I didn't know about, I really didn't know much about insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance, but Mm. I knew whatever was happening, I was feeling better. And it wasn't until a few years later that I discovered the term intermittent fasting and I realized that's exactly what I was doing. And, uh, you know, ever since then, I've just been on a crusade to teach people um, you know, principles of natural health. I opened my clinic in 2009 and uh, you know I've been working with people all around the world up until really a few years ago when my my uh, website really took off and you know now I, I really just focus on I had sold my clinic a few years ago and I uh, just really focus on creating the world's best natural health content to uh, inspire, educate, and empower as many people as possible to reach their their health potential.
1: Wow. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, like I said, we talked earlier that we are on the same page with just a lot. I mean, some of the books you mentioned and the evolution is um, a little older than you, but still is uh, pretty similar. So that's pretty cool. So you have someone come to you and you know, they're basically, they've been on the standard American diet forever, right? Um, what's the, what's step one? What, what, what do you do? Task, mm-hmm. Uh What do you, you know, what, Like they've got just basically, you know, they're obviously a little, maybe a little overweight, uh, blood sugar dysregulation, maybe they're pre-diabetic. What's, what's step one at your, in your idea, in your mind?
0: Well, for sure. Well, uh, step one is things that are are pretty easy to do. Um, it's just a matter of being disciplined with them. But the first thing I always tell people is first thing you got to do is reduce the amount of sugar and grains that you're consuming, sugar and starch in general, Um, anything that's going to turn into glucose in your bloodstream right after you eat it. So sugar and starches, we want to significantly reduce those, you know, pretty much eliminate processed sugar, added sugars. Um, You know, if somebody's eating fruit, fine with that, it's nutrient dense forms. Um, But you know, the breads, the grains, the rice, oatmeal, things like that, we want to eliminate those things. And then uh, number two, we get rid of bad fats. We get rid of corn oil, soybean oil, safflower, cottonseed, all your processed vegetable oils. And most people don't realize, they think, yeah, I eat a salad every day for lunch. I'm doing a great thing for my health. And when we look at their salad dressing, and it's soybean oil, right? And they're getting 10 grams of soybean oil every time, every day, consuming that. And that's just inflaming their cell membranes, uh, causing insulin resistance, driving up inflammation in their body. So we got to get rid of those bad oils. And then, number th- and then we replace them with good oils, right? Good fats. So lots of high polyphenol, fresh pressed, extra virgin olive oil, which I'm a huge advocate of. Coconut oil, grass-fed butter, avocados or avocado oil, um, egg, pasture-raised eggs. Those are all fantastic oils. Maybe a fish oil supplement in some cases mm. to get high quality omega-3s. But those are all really, really good oils that we wanna be consuming on a regular basis. And then number three is we try to change the meat that we eat. Okay, and and that means getting rid of processed conventional animal products and sticking with grass-fed, organic, pasture-raised animal products, wild-caught seafood, because your conventional animal products are pumped full of antibiotics. They've got microplastics in them. They've got heavy metals. They've got um, all different types of pesticides and herbicides, high levels of glyphosate. And so all of that's going to really affect our microbiome. It's going to affect our toxic load. So the more that we can move from your, you know, and it's hard to eliminate all of that because you might be eating at a restaurant or something like that, try to make the best choices you can. But certainly at home, doing our best to get grass-fed, organic pasture-raised animal products and wild-caught seafood, those are the three big nutrition changes that we start with.
1: Nice. I like it. I like it. So I've been recently fascinated, and you know, this whole thing in the sugar world kind of got kicked off with Dr. Lustig, who's on the summit. You guys can check him out. Uh 10 years ago, we did a 90-minute lecture on fructose. And we've had Richard Johnson on. You know, nature wants you to be fat is probably the principal fructose researcher in the world. And you mentioned IBS and and there's a disease called fructose malabsorption. It's kind of hard to hmm. diagnose or whatever. People are, it's always confused with IBS or whatever. What do you know about this delineation between fructose and glucose? Because it's coming to my belief system that, you know, if people start to study fructose, they'll get off sugar much quicker than if they're Granted, the glucose and everything that you're describing is important and, you know, glucose monitors and what have you, but tell the folks the delineation, what you think or believe and understand about the fructose and the glucose.
0: Yeah. So fructose, obviously, we find it in nature. It's the primary sugar we find in fruit, for example. Right. Um and, you know, a certain amount of fructose, our body can metabolize just fine. But fructose, you don't get quite the same insulin response that you do with right. things that break down into glucose. And insulin, it gets a bad rap because in, insulin itself is, is a life-saving hormone. Um, when we have, when anything that elevates our blood sugar, we've got to keep our blood sugar in a really um, tight range. And when we eat food that elevates our blood sugar, the sugar molecules themselves, if there's left... If our blood sugar is very high, we call this hyperglycemia, um, those sugar molecules will actually bind to proteins and they create something called an advanced glycation end product, AGE. Mm -hmm. And these AGEs are incredibly reactive with the endothelial lining of our blood vessels, create plaque in our our arteries, they damage our kidneys, like shrapnel going through our bloodstream, basically. Mm -hmm. So insulin's job is to get that sugar out of the bloodstream and into the cells of the body where it can be used for energy. Um, we can create atp cellular energy out of it (laughs) along with that insulin also brings a a lot of key minerals and nutrients into the cell it's basically like a key unlocking a door to get these key things like magnesium for example into the cell Mm -hmm. and so we need we need ourselves to be very sensitive to insulin and responsive to it with fructose we don't fructose gets metabolized directly in the liver um and one of the byproducts when we're when we're uh, breaking down a lot of fructose is uric acid. And that's, you know, it's it's kind of a normal byproduct of metabolism in general. And our body's fine with a certain amount of uric acid in, in the system. And we're eliminating it, of course, uh, you know, in our urine. But th- when that elevates, that creates a lot of inflammation in our system. It's very reactive when it's out of kind of this tight, controlled range. And that's also going to affect our, our arteries. Can affect our liver, increase our risk of fatty liver disease. So it can be very problematic. Now, I would say the main the main way people are getting high levels of fructose in our society today is through a process through processed foods that are high in high fructose corn syrup. Right. So high fructose corn syrup. Number one, corn is a government subsidized. You know, it's, I think it's that and soy are the, the two most subsidized crops, agricultural crops, meaning the government's paying farmers to produce a lot of corn, a lot of soy. And they do it. And 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 for a number of reasons, some of them perhaps beneficial, some of them not beneficial. Um, and because the government pays the farmers, the farmers can sell a lot of the the, the different, um, you know, they can do a lot with corn. They can create ethanol, they can create an alcohol, they can create cor- corn syrup, corn oil, right? All these different components that sure. they take out of it and a lot of those they sell really really cheaply to food manufacturers. Corn syrup is one of those. And so corn syrup is actually cheaper for man- food manufacturers to get than, you know, like typical sugar. And yeah. so it's and and it's like a syrup. And so it's very easy for them to utilize it in a lot of different recipes. It has like a, a long shelf life. There's a lot of different factors that food manufacturers love about it. And so a lot of the, you know, soft, soft drinks and different things like that have corn syrup in it. A lot of processed foods, baked goods are using corn syrup. And in our society, you know, the average individual is eating, you know, at least 50% of their diet from ultra-processed foods. Most of those have a lot of corn syrup in them. Mm. And so they're getting, and this corn syrup is, you know, that the reason why they call it high fructose corn syrup is because it's high in fructose. And so, you know, it's causing there there people are taking in way more fructose than we would in nature mm. to get fruit for example fruit is naturally higher in fructose but um fruit would only be around seasonally um you know for our ancestors we would have it in certain seasons and we may consume it in abundance for example during the summertime but also during the summertime we have higher levels of vitamin D we're getting a lot more biophotons from the sun we're getting a lot more red light infrared Mm uh, you know, exposure, UV exposure and all those things enhance insulin sensitivity. They enhance liver cell function. They enhance overall metabolism, GLUT4 receptor activity, uh, which naturally kind of acts like, like a form of insulin without insulin in the cells. And, uh, those things kind of help buffer some of the inflammatory impact of fructose, right? And then of course, the fruit would also have a lot of Antioxidants, things like that. Plus the fruit, the the fructose that our ancestors were consuming, or should the, the fruit that our ancestors were consuming,
1: right.
0: was not as hybridized as you know, and not as sweet as the fruit that we typically are consuming today. So, with the, all that to say that, um, you know, I'm fine with fruit in moderation. I think that fruit has you know some nutritional benefits to it some helpful compounds in there. But, you know, when you are consuming fruit that is very, very sweet, you just have to realize that's going to have a lot of fructose in it. Mm -hmm. I'm more of a fan of a lot of the astringent types of fruit. For example, out here, um, muscadine grapes. Like in my neighborhood, we have tons of muscadine grapes. Mm -hmm. Muscadine grapes taste a lot different than your typical like sugar grapes that you find, your Concord grapes that you find in a grocery store, they're very astringent. And astringent is kind of like this tartness. And that tartness that you find in muscadine grapes, cranberries, pomegranates helps buffer the blood sugar response from the fruit. And also it's very high in uh, oligic acid, something very high in oligic acid. Oligic acid is metabolized Buy some of the keystone bacteria in your gut into something called urolithins. And urolithins play a key role with enhancing mitochondrial function. They stimulate mitophagy, particularly in the intestinal cells, which uh, is a kind of a breakdown of the old damaged mitochondria and the formation of new healthy mitochondria, which creates a stronger, more stress-resilient intestinal lining. There's a lot of great benefits there. So, you know, you do want to limit the amount of high sugar fruit and certainly fruit juices that you Mm -hmm. would be consuming. I'm not a fan of like, like I mentioned earlier, orange juice, a lot better ways to get your vitamin C than that. Um, But I don't think that fruit in general is really the issue. In our society, it's really the high fructose corn syrup that we're seeing everywhere. Just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about Peak Tea. These are amazing teas that are specifically designed to enhance the benefits of fasting, helping you get deeper levels of autophagy and cellular healing, helping to shut down your appetite and support healthy weight management. They're delicious. They won't break your your fast. They use the highest quality a cold brew crystallization that gently preserves active compounds at their maximum potential with no prep or brewing needed. They're 100% organic and triple toxin screen for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold, which is really common in tea. A lot of teas have heavy metals. They've got pesticides, they've got molds not with peak tea it's the highest possible purity and that's why i love it this is why my family and i drink this regularly we really love the bergamot fasting tea we know that bergamot is loaded with theoflavins to nourish your gut bacteria support digestion and boost satiety and great it's really great for energy and bergamot itself is great for for your skin it has a flavorful burst of citrus and it's oils-enhanced digestion. They provide unique mood-boosting properties. You're gonna love that. They also have the ginger green fasting tea. We know ginger is great for your digestion, great for keeping inflammation under control. We know the catechins in green tea are some of the most powerful immune supportive compounds that you can put in your body. Also really great for stimulating autophagy, down-regulating inflammation in the body. So really, really powerful stuff there. And then you've got cinnamon herbal fasting tea, which is amazing for supporting balanced blood sugar and helping manage cravings. I love the cinnamon herbal fasting tea, really great flavor to that. And guys, Peak is extending a limited time offer Just for my audience, you can get 5% off plus a free pouch that comes with 20 premium samples. So you can try different flavors when you purchase the fasting bundle. Head over to peaklife.com forward slash drjockers and use the code Dr. Jockers or D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S for a special discount. Guys, Peak has over 15,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot of reviews. This has been well-tested. Try it for yourself risk-free with a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, and you'll either love it or you get your money back. So that's peaklife.com spelled P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com slash D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S and use the coupon code Dr. Jockers for a complimentary gift
1: and 5% off. Mm, I appreciate that. No, that's a... Uh... I don't usually get a good answer to that. So I thank you. That's different. You know what I mean? Folks are, um, I think, a little confused, even some of the biggest researchers about the amount of fruit and the hybridization, as you mentioned, it's a lot sweeter than it used to be. For sure. um, The keto stuff in general, um, you know, it's getting a bad, it gets a little bit of a bad rap, especially with the everything in Costco being labeled keto. And where do you stand on that kind of uh, manufactured keto stuff? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing it's, you, you're, you're more into just straight whole food. Um, and I want to get into fasting after that, but yeah, where you stand on the keto. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I guess they have a name, dirty keto, whatever, but <laughs> <laughs> what,
0: yeah, what yeah, for sure. About? So first, First thing I would say is nutritional ketosis Mm -hmm. um, is a really powerful physiological state. And as a functional medicine practitioner, I think of it as a really great tool. It's a tool to help people get well. And that tool can be applied for different people in different ways and at different times, right? But it's really just a, a powerful, natural physiological tool that all of our ancestors leveraged because our ancestors used to go through periods of feast and famine, meaning that you know, they would have times where, you know, food was abundant. Maybe they had a good harvest or a good hunt mm-hmm. and they would consume a lot of food. And then there were times just naturally where, you know, they, they had a drought, right? They had um uh, very, uh, very poor harvest or poor hunt and they would eat very little food, if any food, and sometimes for days at a time. And this mm-hmm. is not uncommon. And so our body needed a way to adapt. And so, The way that our body produces ketones and the reason why it produces ketones is it takes fatty acids. Those fats could be from our diet. We mentioned like coconut oil, for example, or olive oil, or they could be from our own body fat. And so historically, it would be more so from our body fat and we would take it. And we would convert it in the liver into a smaller compound because fatty acids, although most of our cells can can produce energy and produce abundant energy from fatty acids, the fatty acids can't get across the blood-brain barrier, at least not in sufficient quantities to provide a great fuel source for the brain. And the brain is extremely metabolically active. Some researchers say that the brain consumes about 20% of the calories we consume on a daily basis, right? The metabolic activity is about 20% of our whole body's metabolic activity. So the brain's constantly needing fuel. It needs to produce a lot of cellular energy. And so it can do that, mo- mo- You know, it's doing that from glucose on a regular basis, but it can also do it from ketones because ketones can, they're water soluble, they're smaller molecules than the fatty acids. They cross the blood brain barrier, get into the brain and they can be used as an energy source in the mitochondria. Um, and they also have a lot of other great benefits. For example, when ketones are elevated and insulin is low, uh, it's been shown to reduce overall systemic inflammation in the body and also in the brain. We have something called the inflammasome, which is kind of like a a, a uh, inflammation amplifying uh uh, compound in, in in the body or receptor in the body that almost like turns on a whole alarm system mm-hmm. in the brain, for example, the neuroinflammosome to help bring down or to help with uh, reducing any sort of threat from pathogens. for example, you know, throughout the history of mankind, more people have died from systemic infections, infections that got in typically through flesh wounds. Or perhaps you know eating something that was bad or something like that got into our system, got into our blood, spread throughout the body, and went into the lungs, gave gave us pneumonia, or into the brain and nervous system, created meningitis. And so, because of that, our body has this inflammation, this really powerful inflammation amplifying system that really crushes pathogens quickly, so we can survive. But it also damages tissues when inflammation is elevated, particularly when it's elevated chronically. And um, for most people, because they are insulin resistant, they're eating bad foods, they're stressed out, they're not sleeping right, not living a healthy lifestyle, they have their inflammasome elevated. And this may be contributing to, you know, know, people that are dealing, for example, with chronic pain on a regular basis, people that are dealing with chronic skin issues, um, you know, weight loss resistance, hormonal dysfunction, all these types of issues, all related to chronic inflammation in the body. So ketones really help help quench that. They help balance certain neurotransmitters in the brain. A lot of amazing benefits. They're also called a epigenetic modulator, meaning mm-hmm. that they actually help to modulate or balance our gene expression in such a way that they help turn off disease, disease-promoting genes and turn on anti-aging and longevity-promoting genes. So getting into a state of ketosis can be incredibly therapeutic for the body. Now, the way that we do that is you know, also an important consideration. And so in general, a ketogenic diet is to some degree, it's, it's, you're getting a lot of similar benefits that you would with fasting. When you fast, kind of like a famine, you turn up ketones. Well, with a ketogenic diet, you're eating food but you're keeping insulin down and you're keeping your blood sugar stable. So between meals, your body, because insulin's, insulin's low, can start creating ketones. Um, and so you get a lot of those same benefits. And so with a ketogenic diet, you're going on a lower carbohydrate diet. So particularly net carbs, all your sugars and starches, you're reducing those. You're getting your calories typically from proteins, healthy fats, and then you're consuming fiber as well. And, you know, sugar alcohols are not considered, um, you know, net carbs that impact your blood sugar, although that can be different for each individual, Mm. but, you know, they're classified as, you know, just a total carb and not a net carb. And it's the net carbs that would be kind of your glucose, fructose, your starch, that, um, we're trying to avoid on a ketogenic diet and so you had mentioned there's a lot of processed foods out there that have keto on them and that's absolutely true in fact I mean if you love cookies you can find keto cookies if you love um you know whatever you whatever you want pretty much chips you can find keto chips what do you think about all that well, you know, I think that in general, I mean, it's most of those are ultra-processed foods. They're healthier than, you know, other other types of ultra-processed foods are better, they're better alternatives. Right. Um less talk, to- you know, oftentimes less toxins in them, less of a blood sugar um, you know, uh blood sugar impact consuming those foods. But they're mm-hmm. you're, they're still not they're still not best for the body. They're still not getting the nutrient density that you want.
1: Right. And
0: um you know, ideally we're consuming at least 80 to 90% of our calories from real foods. Okay. If you want to play around with a little bit of those, if you're super healthy, taking good care of your body, doing a lot of the other things, right. I think you'd be fine. But, um, for the most part, you want to do your best to focus on real foods.
1: Nice. I love it. So, you know, in, in, in the communities, if you will, of keto and, uh, carnivore and what have you, um, fasting is a big deal and you're. you got a book there right behind you. Um, tell the folks, like in our world, when somebody's coming right off sugar, we, we can't get them fast and it makes them binge. So we, we you know, we have them eat three meals a day, but, you know, I intermittent fast and fast once a day or once a week for a full day. Tell the folks what uh, benefits and, and how you came to understand fasting and and why it's good for folks. And, and what, you know, yeah. in, like I said, intermittent or you know water fast. It's, you know, I know it's a broad question, but I'm sure you. You I, I don't want you to enca- I, I'm asking to encapsulate an entire book in in uh, five minutes, but I know you'll do it.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I believe that fasting is the most ancient, inexpensive, and powerful healing tool known to mankind. Meaning that all of our ancestors did it. So it's really the the ability to adapt to periods of time without food is built into our DNA. Genetically, our body knows exactly what to do with that. Um, it's inexpensive, of course, because you don't have to buy anything, right? There's not, in fact, it saves you money, right? You're not buying food. And then it may be the most powerful because of a number of reasons. One is this elevation of ketones, which I just described all the benefits. So your body still needs fuel so where's it going to get that fuel from well you have stored sugar called glycogen in your muscles and your liver so it's going to start breaking that down and using it for energy yeah and then once it gets to a certain threshold level with your your glycogen it's going to primarily be burning fat for fuel and again we can't get the fat across the blood-brain barrier so we're going to create ketones to do that we're going to get all the great benefits from ketones like i mentioned before and then on top of that your insulin goes down and when insulin goes down under a certain threshold right? So when you eat a meal, insulin goes up, stays up, then it kind of comes down to kind of a moderate level. And then eventually it'll go down fairly low. Like, especially if you're, you know, you didn't overproduce insulin to begin with. Mm -hmm. And every one of us has a certain threshold where when insulin is above that threshold, our body is in a building or storage mode, storage physiology, where we ourselves are reproducing quickly And we are storing nutrients and storing fat, all right? However, when insulin goes down below this threshold, now we get into more of a catabolic physiology where we start to break down. That's where we break down the glycogen and we break down fatty acids to use them for energy. And our body also needs amino acids, protein. It needs to create proteins. We need proteins for all physiological activities. So if we're not eating food, where are we gonna get those proteins? Well, it's not like we have this kind of extra just storage sitting somewhere, kind of like we do with glucose and with fatty acids. The proteins are actually within our tissues, right? And so our body, our innate intelligence will say, okay, we need more proteins. We need more amino acids. So let's find the... Uh, the cells and the organelles. Organelles are basically like organs within a cell. So we have all these cellular organelles like mitochondria, Mm -hmm. our Golgi apparatus, endoplasmic endoplasmic reticulum that are within the cell that create proteins, that create cellular energy. And our body says there's probably a lot of those that are metabolically damaged. And just through the process of metabolism, all these organelles are rusting. They're aging, kind of like the browning of an apple. Our mitochondria become damaged over time. All the different organelles, the different tissues, the cells of our body become damaged. And so the body starts taking the older, damaged cells. We call these the senescent cells or the aged and less functional cells, and also the organelles within them, like the senescent, the aged mitochondria. And we start to break down the mitochondria, for example. And then we take the raw materials and we turn that into new, healthy, stronger, more stress-resilient mitochondria. We call this mitophagy when it's uh, related to the mitochondria. And the overall term we call is autophagy, which basically means self-eating. Our body will actually eat these uh, organelles through a enzyme called lysozyme. It's almost like a Pac-Man going in there, kind of chewing it up, but then it doesn't just chew it up and spit it out. It spits it out into such a way that we create a new mitochondria. So mm-hmm. a newer, healthier mitochondria. When it comes to our ability to adapt to stress, and stress is anything that takes us out of homeostasis or balance. Like if I'm sitting here right now, my heart rate's at a certain certain way. Um, my blood pressure's at a certain way. If all of a sudden- um, you know, alarm went off, I would be alarmed, right? And it would take me out of homeostasis. My heart rate would go off, blood pressure would go up. So the ability to adapt to that and then get back into homeostasis is a huge factor in your quality of life. You need to be resilient, stress resilience. So the more healthy, stress-resilient mitochondria, cellular organelles, and overall cells of your body, the more stress-resilient those are, the healthier you are and the more you're going to thrive. So in order to do that, in order to, to have great stress-resilient mitochondria, we need to get rid of the bad ones and create room and, and get the raw materials to create new ones. So this kind of cellular refreshing or cellular recycling needs to take place on a regular basis, but it will never take place. We, we're not doing it, at least not at, at sufficient levels to thrive in life If we actually don't go through periods of time with low insulin, that is the trigger for this autophagy and mitophagy process to take place. So fasting puts us in that place of low insulin, low amino acids coming into our our body because we're not obviously eating protein. And now we start to scavenge those from the older damaged cells and create new, healthy, more stress-resilient mitochondria.
1: I love that explanation. I don't think I've ever heard one that good.
0: Hey, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about my cell liposomal glutathione. This is an amazing product because our modern world is toxic. No matter how health conscious you try to be, the truth is that every single day you and I are being bombarded by harmful toxins and stressors, things like EMF, 5G, heavy metals, chemicals, processed foods, and the like. And when left to roam free, these toxins take on the form of something called free radicals. Free radicals promote an unhealthy inflammatory response and contribute to oxidative damage on the cellular level. This is kind of like the browning of an apple. This is happening inside of our bodies at all times, and it's potentially leading to premature aging, a lower quality of life, and a range of health problems but the good news is that we can fight back with antioxidants and they are crucial in combating free radicals and keeping you on track and one of the most powerful antioxidants known to man is glutathione you see glutathione fights free radicals and molecules that cause cellular damage while repairing the dna and flushing out toxins the only thing about glutathione is that not all supplements are created equal you want a kind of glutathione that has optimal absorption capacity and that is why I love the Purality Health MyCell liposomal technology which delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream and it's proven to be 800% more efficient than other forms of glutathione and even better this is backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee, and today we have a 30% off coupon for you. Just visit PurityHealth.com and use the coupon DRJ to access 30% off today. That's Purality health That's P-U-R-A-L-I-T-Y-H-E-A-L-T-H.com, and use the coupon code Doctor J to access 30% off today.
1: These days, um, diabetes three, I mean, is Alzheimer's, they're calling diabetes three. Are you under the belief that these, and uh, it, it'll lead into our talk about the brain a little bit, but um, is basically inflammation of the brain, uh, these kinds of uh, diseases and Parkinson's and all this kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, for sure. With With all neurodegenerative conditions, one of the hallmarks is high levels of inflammation in the brain. And literally, the body's like chewing up the brain tissue, and there's also a lack of sufficient autophagy in those brain cells. Okay.
1: So real time out. Tell the folks what autophagy is, and that uh, it's the cleaning out of the cells, like you described. But
0: yeah, exactly.
1: It's like the the cleanup crew, right? To get the dead cells out.
0: That's exactly right. Get the dead cells. Get the dead or the the senescent mitochondria some of them are still alive they're just sputtering out you know very low levels of energy energy production ATP um you know typically they can't break down fat for for fuel or or ketones for fuel and they're they're dependent upon glycolysis which is a breakdown of sugar they're producing a lot of free radicals from that which damages the whole cell And so uh, we got to get rid of these dysfunctional mitochondria and the brain tissue neurons actually have more mitochondria per cell than just about every other cell of the body. In fact, about 10 times more mitochondria per cell in a neuron than in uh, your typical muscle cell. And so we really need to support those mitochondria. Otherwise, you know, over time we can develop and and it really, I mean, before you get Alzheimer's, dementia, things like that, the warning signs are uh, mood issues. Brain fog, trouble—you know, just trouble remembering things. You're right. slow to be able to form words at times. You lose your keys all the time. You have trouble sleeping at night. Um, right. You know, these are all early warning signs that could eventually progress into full-blown neurodegenerative diseases.
1: Right? No, I love it. No, I didn't mean to interrupt. I—I I, I mean, I just want folks to know—is it true that the body uh, turns over like all of its cells every like seven years or something? It's like yeah,
0: it's like- I mean, pr- just about. And so we used to think that your your neurons were were at capacity, you know early in life, and that you weren't going to actually grow any new neurons, couldn't get rid of the old ones. But now we realize with the concept of neuroplasticity and neurogenesis that you know you can continually form new neurons and new neural pathways in your body and your brain. And mm-hmm. so, Um, You know, really all these cells can turn over. And that's really the key. I mean, some cells have a lot longer lifespan than others. Like, for example, in our intestinal tract, we turn over the cells in our intestinal tract every three to five days. I mean, skin cells can be two or three days in our skin. So some cells we're turning over really quickly, whereas like, you know, a lot of the cells in our liver... Uh, it's six months to a year, you know, for some of those, those cells, that their lifespan, blood cells, it's usually 90 to 120 days. So we need to have a good cellular turnover. Yeah. If we're not, then again, we're going to get these senescent dysfunctional cells. And when those senescent dysfunctional cells are reproducing, they're reproducing and creating other dysfunctional cells. And so we end up getting a buildup of abnormal dysfunctional cells, then those organs are not going to function the way that they should.
1: Wow. So perfect segue to your work on the brain stuff. And I'm going to tell you a quick story. So, you know, forever, I'm doing this a decade and and everybody comes to me for weight loss, right? But do we do our surveys and we get all our testimonials in, weight loss is like number three or four on the list, but the number one is always the brain coming back online, focusing better, uh, remembering better, doing their work better, not being irritable, sleeping better. So tell the folks, I mean, you you have like a brain regenerative program. Tell, tell the folks what that is. is That mostly diet. Um, Are there other parts of it? Tell, tell the folks about, you know um, and you know, people are thinking that it, it, forgetting their keys is normal aging stuff but it isn't really right it's like you don't have to age that way uh, mentally so tell the folks what your you know what your work is about that
0: well you're absolutely right mike we want to have a thriving brain i mean the quality of your brain is going to be the quality of your life and so you want to have a thriving brain up until the day you die and and um you know when it comes to brain health The reason why people in in your programs are getting good results, seeing changes with their brain is because blood sugar stability is absolutely critical for healthy brain function. If your blood sugar is going up and down and you're experiencing times of hyperglycemia, we just talked about how that high blood sugar creates the AGEs, which create massive oxidative stress, damage the endothelial lining of the blood vessels, which then reduces the uh, the oxygen carrying capacity of the blood and the oxygen extraction into the neurons and therefore their cellular energy production goes down and their mitochondrial function goes down. And so they're not able to produce energy the way they should. Also, when you have hypoglycemia, that's low blood sugar, Mm -hmm. then you're not getting the glucose uh, that the brain needs to run on energy. And if you're not also metabolically flexible enough to create ketones so you can have this alternative fuel source, then the brain cells are not getting the sugar, the glucose to produce energy and they're not getting the ketones. So they starve, literally become um, hypometabolic and now they're not able to produce the energy that they need and mitochondrial function significantly suffers, brain cells die. And when brain cells, when neurons die, they release a whole bunch of different compounds, particularly like calcium, that then spill into the neuron that's next to it and hyperexcite that neuron And we create something called neuro excitotoxicity. So when neurons are dying, it is really problematic for kind of a whole area around it. And um, then we end up like when people have hypoglycemia, that what do they feel? They have cravings, sometimes they have nausea. Like you think about it, they need food, but they feel nauseous. Why? Because they actually have neuro excitotoxicity that's damaging areas, particularly in the brainstem that are associated with Their nauseous response, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For some people, they have intense cravings. They get really irritable, have mood issues. Um, You know, the hangry, like, you know, that's kind of the the classic one that we talk about where people are feeling hangry. They're irritable and hungry at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a a reaction from our amygdala, our limbic system. And we can do a lot of dumb things, right? A lot of domestic violence, um, you know, a lot of just violence in general, a lot of, People doing things that they regret happens in this sort of hangry state from hypoglycemia. So, we really want to have good blood sugar stability so we don't have the detrimental effects of hyper, too much blood sugar, or too little blood sugar. And that's kind of what your programs are doing. And when we do that, now the neurons are able to get nourished the way that they should. They're able to break down glucose effectively for energy, but also have times where they're breaking down ketones for energy and they're getting the anti inflammatory effects. So, they're able to really, really thrive, produce the energy they need. Um, and uh, turn on the proper genetic expression so they can really thrive and have balanced neurotransmitters, sleep well at night. And so, yeah, I mean, diet is is critical. It's really the foundation there, but also movement itself. Movement Mm. itself Mm -hmm. is actually a critical nutrient for the brain. We call it proprioception, meaning joint movement information. So, when we're moving there's all these different signals that are coming from receptors around our joints up into the brain. And that actually itself is actually feeding and activating the brain. The brain needs really three key things. It needs energy, right? So we talked about glucose or ketones. It needs oxygen, right? Needs oxygen at all times. And then it also needs movement information, right? That's super critical. And then I would actually throw in a fourth thing. It needs glymphatic activation, which is kind of this part of our, uh, neuroimmune system, or, or, or I should say our neuroimmunolymphatic system that we get when we're sleeping, right? When we sleep, we actually drain a whole bunch of different proteins, toxic debris, things like that out of our brain. We call it the glymphatic drain, right? So we drain our brain and we kind of reset our brain, right? It's like, it's like doing a, uh, you know, like every now and then my computer uh, you know, it, it needs to update, right? If it doesn't update, everything gets bogged down, moves slowly, is not functioning well. So I got to turn off my computer and allow it to update. Well, it's kind of what what our brain does and needs to do this every single night, um, yeah. and it needs really good lymphatic activity. So really good sleep, and there's certain things like, for example, sleeping on your side has been shown to dramatically improve lymphatic flow compared to sleeping on your back or sleeping. Uh, sitting up or, or sleeping on your stomach. Okay. When you, when you're sleeping on a plane, you're getting some rest, right? Relaxing your, your muscles, your eyes, things like that, but you're not getting much lymphatic drainage, right? So this is what, one of the reasons why you don't feel as rested when you're sleeping on a plane. Um, And so lymphatic activation along with regular movement, and there's certain ways of moving your body that activate your brain better than others. Walking in general is great. But if you're just doing the same movements over and over and over again, you're not activating your brain as much. Mm. Okay. So there's something called neurobics, which is basically novel exercises, right? That novel meaning new, like exercises you're not normally doing. And it could just be as simple as like brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand, combing your hair with your non-dominant hand, balance exercises where you're doing things balancing on one foot. Um, This is all ramping up more and more activity, more and more proprioceptive function up into different areas, your brain, your cerebellum, your cortex, to help balance and stabilize and to adapt to that movement so you can do that movement more effectively. So new movements um, can be really helpful for activating more of your brain tissue and creating more connectivity of your brain. In fact, you know, at Stanford, they they did an aut- autopsy. Uh, Albert Einstein, when he died, he donated his whole body to science, right? He was a scientist. So, of course, they wanted to look particularly at his brain and they wanted to compare the amount of neurons in his brain tissue compared to somebody else that would, uh, was roughly the same age and, and, and body size, to see if there were any differences. And what they found was that the amount of neurons was roughly the same. However, he had twice as many synapses or little gaps in okay. between the neurons, and that's the amount of synapses that you have is kind of a reflection of the level of overall connectivity of your brain. So, you think about it like a really good Wi Fi reception versus not a very good Wi Fi reception. The better connectivity, the better Wi Fi, the better you're able to download things, you know, search information, right? You're able to get what you want out of your phone or whatever it is, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like the same thing with Einstein, he was able to link you know very complex thoughts because he had this amazing level of connectivity in his brain he used to he used to go he used to think and he would walk up and down a hallway and do a heel to toe walk kind of like you know what they do when somebody is um somebody's drunk um they'll check their the, the health of their cerebellum because that's the part of it's called your small brain your little brain the back yeah. of your brain and they want, that's, that's, it can be extremely affected by alcohol. So they want to see, okay, what does your balance look like? And how do you do walking kind of a heel to toe walk? And people right. that are drunk, of course, they're like staggering all over the place. Well, you can actually just practice this heel to toe walk and it and it amplifies the amount of proprioceptive information going into your cerebellum, which ramps up the connectivity of your brain. And Einstein used to just go up and down his hallway and do this. And he would, sometimes would even close his eyes and go up and down his hallway, kind of doing this sort of walk. And it's kind of this unusual thing but he found that when he would do that it would help him break through uh you know like times where he had brain plateaus like mental plateaus yeah and now he didn't i don't think he understood the science at that time he just was was saying oh i just notice i feel better right but today we know i don't think the science was was developed enough back then to understand this, but today we know he was ramping up the activity in his cerebellum, his cortex. He was creating cr- creating greater connectivity in his brain. So this is something you can do, and you can practice. You can do cross crawl exercises. Babies, when they're crawling, you know, we used to think crawling was just kind of a, a natural stage between walk, you know, between not not moving and walking. Yeah. But actually, crawling, they're act- actually activating the two hemispheres of their brain. They're activating something called their corpus callosum, which connects the two hemispheres. Yeah. And they are actually increasing the overall connectivity of the brain. And so I always tell parents, your child is going to walk. Like I don't know any, you know, eight-year-olds that aren't walking, you know, as long as they have well-functioning limbs. Yeah. The brain figures it out. You know, don't you don't have to rush your child to walk. As long as they want to crawl, let them crawl. They're developing the connectivity of their brain. You don't have to rush it. Um, this is this is a a, a necessary developmental step that's actually going to enhance their overall brain health. And then when they're ready to walk, they're going to walk. But we can also do as adults, we can do cross crawl activities, we can do them on our knees, or we can do them like even standing, just kind of like your right hand to your left knee, left hand to right knee. So yeah. there's a lot of different exercises that you can do to help uh you know enhance brain health exercise in general is great resistance training lean building lean body tissue our muscles themselves actually release something called myokines and exerkines which have been shown to increase brain derived neurotropic factor bdnf in the brain which is like miracle growth for the brain enhances connectivity so you know just doing resistance training uh you know building that lean body tissue and and secreting those myokines exerkines um is powerful powerful stimulus for brain health too
1: Wow. I love this job. I have never heard this term. Let me make sure I got it right. Proprioceptive function. Yeah. Proprioception. Yeah. Proprioceptive function or proprioception. Yep. That's amazing. I've seen different exercises where people say that if they mix it up, like the one that I remember the most, and I I think it was a marketing technique, was uh, muscle confusion. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it actually there's some there's science behind it. Uh, obviously, you're telling me the science behind it. That's great. Yeah, oh, I love this, David. This has been awesome. I mean, you study and write books on things that I'm just totally fascinated about. We could talk forever, but I know you're busy, guys. So, tell the folks where they can find you online. Tell them uh, what you're up to, and uh, you know, tell us where tell us where you think the future of health is going. After that, tell us like what do you think. Uh, why isn't the adoption of some of the things that you write about that we talk about and sugar and all this? Why, where's the adoption? What, why aren't people grasping onto this faster? Is there a tipping point coming?
0: Yeah, all really, really great questions there. And you can find me at drjockers.com. And I'm also on Instagram, just look up Dr. David Jockers, Facebook, YouTube, uh, I have my podcast, Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast as well. So you can find all of that. I go through, you know, I do a lot of talks just like this, like I'm at conversations I'm having here with Mike on the on the podcast. And when it comes to the future of health, you know, it's one of those things where, um, unfortunately, in our society, there are, I would say, probably 75% of our society is aging faster, decaying faster, you know, getting more and more overweight, getting sicker at younger and younger ages, and just being medicated and taught all the wrong things when it comes to health and, and taught that health really comes from the outside in rather than the inside out. Yeah. But what I am encouraged by is that there is a growing group of people that are looking for not just disease prevention, but really health optimization. And I don't know exactly what that percentage is, but I think that percentage is up over 10% now, uh, mm-hmm. particularly in westernized countries. Um, you know, And with the growth of podcasts, summits like this one, we're getting that information out And, you know, I really would like to see that, 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 that group really uh, grow to 20, 25% of our population. I think when we're doing that, you know, I think it's like 30% or so you really hit a a critical mass. And so I I believe at some point we will, you -hmm. know, we're just up against some big players, big pharma, big food, lots and lots of money, um, you know, that's, you know, unfortunately put into a system that keeps people sick, gets people sick and keeps them sick because, people who are not healthy are much more profitable in that system than people who are healthy. And so when you're going up against big players like that, it just really takes time to, to be able to change that system. But, uh, you know, my hope and prayer is that more and more people catch on to this and uh, we're able to just spread this information. And, you know, I'm a I'm a, a, a believer in the Bible. I believe, you know, that Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, I believe that he's got great plans for our life and our health. And just like, You know i'm an evangelist for my faith i'm an evangelist for natural health and i think that the more of us that are experiencing this and living this lifestyle and we can really be a light to the world Mm -hmm. um you know and and just our energy our passion our excitement about these kind of health topics and the conversations we're having about it that can, can really obviously uh, influence and empower the people around us and mm-hmm. help bring them up and get them excited about this sort of lifestyle. And so that's, that's really my hope and prayer. And that's, you know, why I do interviews like this with you, Mike, I know that's something that you're passionate about as well. And mm-hmm. so we really need to be a light to the people around us with this message.
1: Awesome. Awesome. David, thank you so much, man. That was really awesome. And I'm um, really uh, thankfully we got you on this year and uh, we'll talk to you real well soon. Thanks a lot. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Mike. Well, that's all for this show, and I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life. You know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.